0: Father, we love you. Um, What a beautiful um, time already this morning. We don't deserve, Father, to experience uh, the beauty of what you've done here already this morning, but in your grace, uh, you brought brought us here, Father. We look forward to that feast in heaven one day, Lord. We got to experience a little drop of that this morning, and we're grateful for it. Thank you for Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. Uh, Father, we're weak, we're sinful, uh, but because of Christ, uh, you look at us as uh, righteous, something we don't deserve, Father, and so we're grateful for it. Thank you for this church, Lord, and how you've brought this church together, the people here, Father, Um, we're grateful for it. Father, we pray for uh, those around the world this morning that don't get to experience this, that might be imprisoned, been kidnapped because of their faith, lost jobs, um, kicked out of families because they identify with Christ. Uh, Father, we lift them up this morning, give them a a special uh, portion of grace this morning, Their family is a special portion of grace. And because of what they're going through, Father, would you draw more people to Christ? Would he be high and lifted up? Would he be seen as beautiful uh, because of the suffering you've asked them to go through? We pray for the same here this morning, Father. That Christ would be high and lifted up and seen as beautiful because of the preached word this morning. uh, Because of the labor of our brother Richard listening to your voice and your spirit. Uh, Father, would you give him a confidence in you, not in himself, to proclaim your word, to proclaim your gospel. And may you, by your Holy Spirit, penetrate our hearts, penetrate rebellion, restore relationships, all because of the preached word, uh, for our joy and your glory. In Christ's name, amen.
1: Amen. Thank you, Dan. Especially that word of request. That God would give me confidence in Him, not in myself. I hope you know every Sunday morning when I make the final few steps up the stairs, I just <clears throat> wish that Billy Graham or Charles Spurgeon or John Piper or C.S. Lewis would be among us and would say, I'll, I'll take the pulpit today. And But they don't show up. and I have to speak, and I want to honor the Lord But it's always with trembling, trembling lips. When 2019 began, I didn't, as I I normally don't, know exactly where we're going in the teaching series. I think we're eventually going to get to Ephesians, at least Ephesians chapter 1. But as I just began opening the door to the year, um, I didn't really know what you need. I'm not smart enough to know what you need. Um, but I am broken enough, I'm weak enough to, to, to keep falling down, and when I keep falling down, I seem to, by God's grace, fall down at the right places, and when I look up, right in front of me is a scripture that seems to be pertinent for you. So week number one, I fell right down in front of Matthew chapter six, and week number one was the Lord's call in our life not to waste 2019 in Worry. Because it doesn't accomplish anything, it steals strength from today and dishonors God because it says He's unreliable. So we sort of declared week one, no worry. Week number two, that was last week, we, we said that <clears throat> we want to fill our life with supernatural strength every day by having this vision of the beauty of God. And the only way that we can see God and cherish Him and trust God. And trust it to say, oh God, we want your sovereign scarred hands to mold our life. The only way we're going to be motivated to see that God and invite Him to bend our wheels to His is if we see Him daily in Scripture. So I fell down in front of Psalm 119 and saw that we needed to be looking at God in Scripture if we're going to see God daily. And be fascinated with his beauty so much that we will yield to his will. So last week I said let's dedicate 2019 to the reading of the Bible to see God and be submissive to his will. So Sunday number three, again, just came out of my reading. I start reading in uh, every year around Christmas at one of the Gospels. I begin reading The Christmas narrative in Luke, and I just kept reading through the Gospel of Luke, and I saw this weaving throughout the book of Luke, this lie of culture, it's all over the book of Luke that Jesus warns us against, and so I wanted to address that as I'm well into maybe Luke 22 or 24 now, and I keep seeing it, so I wanted to identify for week three culture's twisted goal in 2019, don't believe this. Culture says, choose as your primary objective to make your life secure through your own plans and strength. That's the goal, the deceitful voice of culture. I'm going to base all of my reading that that theme came out of on Luke 17, 33. Whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it. You probably grew up with translations such as the New American Standard, NIV, ESV, that says whoever saves his life will lose it. I like this new version out of the Holman Standard Bible that says whoever tries to, tries to make his life secure by your own planning, your own plotting, that your goal is I'm going to be secure by my strength. If you do that, you're going to end up losing everything that you value. So if you read from Luke like Luke chapter 8 all the way to Luke 24, you're going to you could stamp Luke 17:33 on about 8 different places. And earlier in the week I tried to say, well maybe I can just share with you all 8 places. And that got to be a real sort of a loser strategy early in the week when we were going to be here for a couple hours. So I decided to narrow it down to one example where we see a man living for this, his own security by his own strength in a story and encounter that Jesus told in Luke chapter um, 12. 12, 13, Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, if you read everything that goes on in the first 12 verses of Luke chapter 12, you would be shocked, as Jesus was shocked, that somebody would come out with this statement. Jesus had already made three lofty, wonderful promises to the crowd in Luke chapter 12. He said, the very hairs of your head are all numbered by God. Don't fear He keeps up with everything in your life every day, including hairs that are gone and hairs that remain. Luke 12, 8. The Son of Man is going to acknowledge you. He's going to say your name when it's time, whether you make it into heaven or not. If you're a believer in Christ, he's going to say your name. Richard, come in. That should be encouraging. Then... Jesus said, when it's time to stand trial on earth and pressure comes on for your faith, don't worry. Don't worry when you go to prison. All these Chinese believers, it's, the persecution is so intense right now in China. So intense. A, a woman last week wrote her friends, I'm going to my house church this morning and I will be arrested. Did you write that letter today? Do not worry about what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say when you are arrested. And so from the crowd, after Jesus made these three massive claims, comes a voice that says, Hey, I'm getting ripped off by my brother, mama died, and I want more money. That's amazing. And if it sounds like it might have irked you, it irked Jesus as well. I love the fact that our Savior has emotions. And he replied, hey, man, (laughs) who appointed me a judge over you? Two guys. He said, I'm not involved in that. But this man had no interest in a Savior who might change his heart, might forgive his sins, all he wanted was somebody, a rabbi, who would make everything equal in his earthly situation. And through the years, many people have approached Jesus Christ in the same way they've looked at all the troubles and the ills of society and all they want Jesus for is for either a social or economic reformer and they come to him and say make things right on earth and that's all we want you for I love listening to political speeches I love listening because I I want to know what political leaders are saying to culture and i love listening to political speeches because i i just i know that the only thing i have in life for my my trade is words so i like how people are using words how they're using the gift of thought to form words and arguments so i always want to learn about how to use the gift of words to fight for in arguments that which is virtuous but the one thing that i found most interesting over the decades in listening to politicians, social reformers, is how many people, when it's convenient to use doses of Scripture or doses of Jesus to say, if you elect me or you uh, get behind my social calls, I will bring about social, economic reformation on this earth. Because, And boy, you can stir a crowd like that. You can, you can win the hearts of a nation like that, Adolf Hitler. I'm a savior economically, socially. Many times these people do not apply any other scripture to their life, but they will bring about, if it will bring about a social utopia, they will bring scripture, Jesus, to the debate to strengthen their position. Let me tell you how I feel about the social ills on earth. There are 7.3 billion things going wrong on earth right now. I counted them up last night. Because there are 7.3 billion people on earth. And that's why there are 7.3 billion wrongs on earth. And there are 7.3 billion things going wrong because there are 7.3 billion people who fail to see the greatness of God. And that's why earth is messed up. Romans 3.23, you know it well, but it will help me in this portion of the argument we have all 7.3 billion people have all sinned vertical is the problem and fall short of the glory of God I used a quote last week from Piper I want to use it again this week because I just crammed way too much in last week's message I tend to do that I hope I don't do it this week but I want to bring one back up a great quote if God wore a coat with pockets He would carry the universe in one of them like a peanut. And what's our problem on earth is we see God in all this splendor and majesty wearing this coat, this little peanut in one of the pockets, and we value the peanut more than the person that holds the peanut. We focus on the peanut while ignoring the greatness of the God who carries the universe. So the gospel is first and foremost about individuals being out of relationship with God, not one another. Problem is vertical before it's horizontal. And so the primary reason that Jesus left heaven was to come to this sin-saturated, violent earth, people bickering with each other, was to come to this earth, stained, sinned earth, so to remove all traces of man's guilt and rebellion vertically against God by shedding His blood on a cross. The history of the world is a history of war. As long as man is angry at his creator, he will be angry at his brother. The cities and nations of the world are battlefields with people wielding swords at one another. Politicians, liberal and conservative, social reformers, Christian and secular, all cry out with the same appeal. Everybody should lay down their sword. And everybody repeatedly says to Jesus, tell them to lay down their sword. That's never the proper order. The real solution begins by first looking at the worth and the value and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. The grand picture of the ultimate sword bearer that we see in Revelation chapter 19. This is Jesus coming back maybe before the sun sets tonight. Revelation 19, may this be our last day on earth. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the wine presses of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So you need to picture yourself today, all of us, 7.3 billion people on earth, all with swords in hands. And we are looking at the warrior Jesus of Revelation chapter 19. And you need to admit that in your time, many times in your life, you have used your sword, your body, your mouth as a weapon against the king of kings who has a sword in his hand who could, if he wished, could use that sword and slay you. But instead, the king of kings of Revelation chapter 19 laid down his sword and gave his life into the hands of Roman soldiers with their big shiny iron swords. And those soldiers nailed the king of kings to a cross So that he could forgive you of using your sword against the king of the universe. And when you see that he did not use his sword against you. That is the only motivation that will cause you to drop your sword and your brother and your sister to drop their swords. Vertical. Before it ever gets horizontal. Only when you know this Jesus will you be able to lay down your sword and love your brother. This is the power of the gospel. But this man in Luke chapter 12, even though Jesus had preached all of these vertical beauties, these vertical splendors, of what God wanted to do for him. This man didn't hear any of it because all he was concerned about was horizontal inequity. It said, I don't need a savior. I've done nothing wrong. I don't even think about my wrongs against the king. I just want money. I want possessions, and I want more and more of them. So you, Jesus, my reformer, tell my brother to give me more of mama's stuff. Didn't matter to this man that Jesus would hang on a cross for his sin. He just wanted more stuff on earth. So Jesus says to him, Watch out. now Jesus back to this man. Verse 15. Watch out. And he and he uses this man to teach all of the crowd that's around him. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So you want to now here's Jesus saying, you want to pick up, you want to find good use for your sword? Here's a good use for your sword. Pick it up and slay greed. The voice of greed seeks to persuade you that until God increases your possessions on earth, you cannot have joy. That's what Luke twelve 15. Let's read that again. Be on guard against all kinds of greed. So this is what Jesus says, life does not consist in abundance of possessions, which means greed would say life does consist, consist in abundance of possessions. So hear it again. The voice of greed seeks to persuade you that until God increases your possessions on earth, you cannot have joy. Direct contrast to what Jesus would later say in John 17, now this is life that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. But greed comes along and says, John 17, 3 is not true. You cannot have life until you have more earthly possessions. Now, you know, money is an interesting subject in the Bible. It gets a bad rap from a lot of people, and it shouldn't. Uh, Because, you know, you can read the same uh, epistle. You can read the same letter that Paul wrote to the church. And in that same letter, he warned people about greed and obsessing about money. And in that same letter, he told men, you should go to work and provide money for your household. In the same letter. So, money is a, let's be clear... Money is a gift from God. A person who says that money is bad or not important has really not thought that statement out. For in reality, money is required to obtain almost everything on earth that we desire to bless us. Let me explain that. If you desire that your house be heated to a certain temperature, you take some money down to Duke Power and you exchange your money for heat. So all it is is the medium of exchange. And it's a good thing because heating your house to 70 degrees or 72 or whatever y'all fight about at your house, it takes money, exchanges, For that blessing. So money is used as an exchange to bring blessing to our lives. Money is good and it allows us to exchange for many things that we can bring blessing to the lives of other people that God sends us to serve in his name. So money is a gift from God. Next sentence. And the spirit of greed seeks to turn this gift into a joy-killing idol. So money's a gift. Greed seeks to make it into an idol. And idol is the best word to use. Colossians 3, because that's what Paul uses. Colossians 3, pick up your sword. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then he names a bunch of earthly nature things. Then at the end of that list, greed, and specifically names greed as idolatry. So when you think about money, you need to think about this big giant idol that's sitting right outside your house, maybe in your yard, maybe it's 40 feet tall, and you can't even open your door in the morning and make your way to your car. That idol starts talking to you and says, you do not have enough stuff to have Joy. That's what it tells you. That's what the idol of greed, it's living, has a spirit, and it's talked to you and says, you can't have joy today because life is about possessions. Life does consist of the abundant possessions. You don't have enough possessions to have life, to have joy. Spirit of greed, spirit of idolatry says, I give you life. And your life will be boring and meaningless and unhappy without me, I am your life. And so Jesus says, watch out. When you open your door in the morning, watch out because that 40-foot idol is in your front yard. Watch out. You say, I've never seen it. That's why he's concerned about you. Because you are sitting here saying, I don't think I have a problem with greed. And Jesus Is most concerned about you because you just said that. He's saying, watch out because it's not just, greed is not just here and there. He says, it's everywhere. Everywhere you go. When you, it doesn't matter, you leave your yard, get in your car, you go down driving through the city, you're gonna see somebody else's yard, their idol in their yard is gonna talk to you. All kinds of greed are gonna talk to you. Throughout your day at work, there's going to be more idols talking to you. So he says, watch out. It's there. It's never not there. All kinds of greed, all kinds of coveting, all kinds of wanting of things you don't presently have. Let me just ask you, in all of your praying, this will be a good greed test, your awareness test. When is the last time you cried out to God? Father, help me. I have a problem with greed. When's the last time you confessed that? I have a problem with greed. Deliver me from coveting. Deliver me from greed. So having warned us about greed, Jesus now tells a very interesting parable. Luke twelve sixteen and he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So let me say again, don't want to be an anti-money guy. It's not a bad thing when a farmer's land goes crazy with a banner crop. It's a good thing when the farm land yields 30 60 100 fold. It's a good thing when you get a promotion and make more money. It's a good thing when your business prospers. It's a good thing when your investments increase. God is not reprimanding this guy for being a productive farmer, yet he does call him a fool. So our question, what we would do when we see the text is, all right, you did call him a fool, Jesus. Why did you call him a fool? Three responses to that end question. Number one, he's a fool because he invited unnecessary anxiety into his life. He thought to himself, what shall I do I have no place to store my crops. So now he's he has spent all of his life earning. So he spent all of his life upset, fretting. How can I make more money? How can I make more money? He's spent all of his life anxious. And now he's traded that anxiety for. How can I keep it? He didn't have to go through that anxiety. There was a solution. Give it away. If you have so much that you're going to have to tear down barns to build bigger ones, it's a possibility the answer is not having to go through the financial Constraints of tearing down, demolition, and rebuilding you could have just given. If he looked a little beyond himself, he would have seen many places that he could have bestowed the fruit of his labor. Were there no poor at his gates? This man needed to be transformed from a greedy hoarder to a generous giver. The spirit of greed can basically be compared to a law of physics, and we 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 know this. The law of physics would say that the greater the mass, the greater the hold that that mass exerts. So, the greater the mass, the greater the hold that that mass exerts. In other words, the larger the planet or sphere the more moons can revolve around that sphere so the larger the mass the more pull that it would have on the moons that revolve around it so the more stuff we have in life the more pull on our life that that stuff has against us so this man actually increased his anxiety He thought he would reduce his anxiety if he gained more and gained more and gained more, but he actually increased his anxiety the more that he made in life. He could have reduced his anxiety and increased his joy if he would have just become a giver, as Paul said in 1 Timothy 6. Command them. These are rich people. Command them or blessed people. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So Jesus began in Luke 12 by saying, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And here, Jesus basically says, life consists in the release of the abundance of possessions. So, yes, Joel Osteen, Jesus loves people to be rich. He's right. Very rich. Rich in good deeds, and rich in generosity. Rich in giving away money so that we can demonstrate that money is not our ultimate treasure, but God is our ultimate treasure. Number two, Jesus called this man a fool because the man had no thoughts of God. Look how many times in Luke chapter 12 the man talked about himself. This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I will store my surplus and I'll say to my self. So what we call this man in Luke chapter 12 is we would call him a materialist. He's the ultimate materialist. Webster's Dictionary defines materialism as the belief that ultimate reality, or that physical, physical matter is, is the only fundamental reality. Materialism says, get that right again, materialism is the belief that physical matter is the only fundamental reality. So this man failed to admit that his material blessings had come from an immaterial person who fills every square inch of the universe with Power and fills every atom in your body with ability. This man, being a materialist, let me say it again, had failed to recognize the universe is governed by an immaterial being who fills every square inch of the universe with energy and every atom in your body with ability. So whenever God gives a surplus... Whenever this immaterial being who runs the universe gives us material blessings, we are not materialist. We look to this immaterial being, this person called God, and we first thank Him for the surplus, and then we ask Him what should we do with the surplus? Should we save it for a future need? answer might be yes, or we digi- or do we give the excess to those who are in present need? A materialist does not think like that. How does a materialist think? Luke 12, 19, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So what is the ultimate value of a materialist? Well, he says it right here. The ultimate, because he has no obligation to an immaterial person god his 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 god is materialism so he would say that what he treasures most in life eating material drinking and partying and relaxing so a materialist would say the purpose of life is to relax This is the goal of life for a materialist. The goal of life for a materialist is to relax, eat, drink, and party. And that's why Jesus called this man a fool. That's what he treasured most was relaxing, eating, drinking, partying. And finally, he's a fool because he's denying that his life will one day come to an end. He lived as if he was never going to die. He said, I have many years left. He's like a a father who never buys life insurance for his wife or for his children because he says, I will never die. A materialist cannot conceive of the concept of death. It never enters his mind, whereas you, as a believer, might say, I am numbering my days. I might die today. A materialist never ponders the concept that he might die. And yet Jesus says to him, this very night your life will be demanded from you. So this sad abrupt ending will happen to all materialists and Jesus makes this closing statement. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So I want to close with this question. What does it mean to be rich toward God? It simply means giving to God means more to you than giving to yourself. Treasuring the privilege of giving to the God who makes all giving, all gain possible Tre- treasuring the God who fills all the universe with energy and all atoms with ability, treasuring that God who produces gain, treasuring Him means more to you than hoarding. So, what it means to be rich toward God. What else does it mean to be rich toward God? I'm going to use my material blessings to show the world that treasuring God means more to me than anything else. Being rich toward God means by the way I spend my money, I'm going to show the world that God is the supreme treasure of my life and not things. I want to close with this final verse. It's. A little bit later down in Luke chapter 12, verse 34, but it's a good principle. Luke 12, 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Big statement in all the Gospels, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you want sort of a modern day translation of that, it would sound like this. Your money moves in the direction of your values. You want to know this is how it works. Wherever your money goes, it simply follows wherever your heart already is. Your money always catches up with your heart. So wherever you spend your money on, your heart has already been there first, and your money just follows it. So money follows heart. Heart gets there first. Heart says, I love this. Then money comes and finances what heart already loves. So your money moves in the direction of your values, which allows me to close with this word of thank you, hope point. We are at the end of year 2018, beginning 2019, and I want to thank you in closing, and I want to, I want to end this message with a joyous celebration of you living out, A principle of in 2018 of how rich you were toward God. Most radical year in Hope Point history in 15 years where we ask of you something that we've never asked of you before. We finally had the opportunity to purchase property that after 15 years of being here, we're going to move to Asheville Highway and in order to get into that property we dealt with the bank and remember we said money's not bad which means bank people are not bad either but the bank people said okay we will make an exchange for you we will we will let you have that property give you a loan on that in exchange bank said exchange we want some money from you so he said the bank said this We'll give you six weeks. We need you to raise $150,000. In six weeks, while you maintain the rest of your budget, you raised $250,000 for the bank. That was the first thing that you said, I want to be rich toward God, and I want to show the bank, and I want to show the neighbor. I value giving more than hoarding. So the first thing, the bank goal said, if you want to exchange you want a loan, you want to buy that property, we need that money, you gave that money and more. Then the bank said, we need you to commit $1.3 million over three years, and, and you did that, and the bank said, but you need to make that commitment, people need to give over three years, make that commitment, but you still need to maintain your budget and show to us that you're still going to keep your church alive. Well, that was a challenge because we increased our budget here last year, the week daily weekly budget by $100,000. So the bank said we need a $1.3 million commitment over 3 years and then we want to see how you would do at your budget that you increased and you we got to the end of 2018 and we had a surplus year of giving after making that $1.3 million in 3-year pledges. It's unbelievable. And you did it because you said, God, we value the work that you want to do on Asheville Highway. The people that live in those neighborhoods, the colleges that live around those neighborhoods, the people that are going to come from east, north, south, and west in this county, We value their ability to worship on that property on Asheville Highway. We value the name of Christ being magnified in that building. We treasure the privilege of preaching the name of Christ in that building more than our possessions. Because we do not believe that life is in our possessions. But life is in people knowing God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And what a joy it is as we dismiss church today and we ask you, as we will ask you again, pick up your chairs. How great it was to meet with the contractor this week and you have been putting your chairs up for around 720 Sundays. And the contractor told us this week, Your people have 25 more Sundays because they gave and valued the kingdom of God over their own possessions. So you've done it for 720. Press on for 25 more. And then we get to go make the name of Christ large in the center of our precious city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again as we look back on the year of your faithfulness. You allowed us to see many high and lofty images, pictures, portraits, paintings. Many times you opened the windows of Scripture and we saw out to the waterfalls of grace and to the oceans of mercy. We saw Jesus Christ high and lifted up. We saw a cross a thousand miles tall, 10,000 miles wide, like the mighty mustard seed that grew into a huge tree. The cross provides shade for all the suffering people of the world who will come and confess a need of a Savior. So last, last year, Lord, you saw us from here to the people of Jordan, to the people of India, to China, to New Zealand, Lord, to South America, to the inner city. You saw the, cro- the cross, the resurrected Christ, come out of the tomb and breathe life on cities and villages and slums, on broken families. Lord, we saw the resurrected Christ take babies in His arms, embrace, Lord, teenagers, Lord, the lost, the hopeless, and we saw Christ be made magnified and be made clear, and we saw people receive Christ and come back to Him And have their souls and their hearts and their lives cleansed by His blood and by His love and His grace. And we saw, Lord, entire destinies changed. We saw the filth of 50 years, the filth of teenage decisions. We saw the filth of greed and the filth of lust and the filth of bitterness be washed out by the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw the Word of God saturate and cleanse consciences through the preaching of the Word of God, through the sharing of evangelistic tracts, through mission trips, Lord, through conversations over lunch, through emails, Lord, and Lord, through another year of assembling in this gym, through music, Lord, that allowed us to taste and see the goodness of the Lord, through beautiful voices and powerful instruments on this stage. Lord, we feasted. We feasted on a glimpse, the holding up of the curtain of heaven, that we could hear the sweet voice of God through music. And every week, Lord, between that and the sounding of hope in Scripture being taught, Lord, the Word of God went out and brought eternal hope to us and to new sheep that were brought into your fold. Wandering just a day before and then, Lord, brought eternally safe under the shepherd's care. And now, Lord, we look to this year, the year of the move. The year of the great move where the lighthouse becomes taller and the light becomes brighter in the new location because your people did not hold on to possessions. They did not believe that life consisted in the hoarding of possessions by your grace and for your glory they let go to a ministry property to ministry trips to missionaries to staff to volunteers holding babies teaching children changing a city bringing hope to colleges, and loving the world with the saving message of Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.